Last week we looked at the parable of the sower, and today we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week we were looking at the seeds and the various kinds of soils into which the seeds fell, and we wondered which soil is the one that is the one that actually represents a heart that is saved, that has come to a relationship with God. And we were left with a little bit of, of question as to where the line might be drawn. And this week, someone else is having a similar uh, existential crisis, so to speak, when he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so we find Jesus's answer here. Of course, Jesus first, as he often does, asks a question when confronted with a question, and his question is, well, what do you think? And the man quotes the Shema, the ancient uh, prayer of the, of the Israelites, understanding uh, what the summary of the law actually is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's right, do with this and you will live. The man steps away maybe and then realizes he's not totally sure where the line might be, how he can achieve or inherit eternal life. So he asks a very important question. So Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan. And it's interesting in context to notice why Luke says that uh, he asked this question. He wanted to justify himself, verse 29. And isn't that the desire of our hearts, to justify ourselves, to make ourselves good enough for God's kingdom? So Jesus told him a story of someone who, in the end, reflects God's plan for us, reflects what it means to be a good neighbor. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan who, in being a good neighbor, saw someone in need and addressed that need at significant cost to himself. The cost of caring. Others passed by, looked, saw, but didn't care enough to stop and do anything this man cared. He cared enough to bandage the wounds of the person stuck in the ditch after the robbers had come. He took time, significant time. When you think about it, he went to the inn and spent time with the, with the man to con continue to give care to him. And also, it would take him longer because he had to give the man his donkey to ride on while he would have walked, and it would have taken longer for, for them to even get to that inn. He gave money. You know what? He didn't even know how much money. He gave two denarii initially, but told the innkeeper, if there is more, if there is more that is necessary, I will pay you. And you know what he gave that I find personally the most challenging? He gave control. He gave up control because he had no idea what his act of kindness would ultimately cost him. 
but he willingly did it because he was a good neighbor. So the man who was asking Jesus the question finds out what it means to be a good neighbor, to see God as all-important and to see through God's eyes how God sees other people, the value that they all have. I found a video through the New York Rescue Mission that helps us to see in a way that we don't normally see. Throughout history, in Bible times, and today, and all the time in between, there is a human tendency to look out for oneself and one's own. In the video, we see that people want to look out for their family members, those that they love, but they didn't even notice them because they looked like the people that they normally don't even pay attention to. But God sees the value in everyone. And doesn't ask us to determine who deserves help. Jesus doesn't give any indication of who the man is that has found himself in the ditch after the robbers had come to him. Was he a Jew? Was he Greek? Was he Roman? Was he a slave? Was he free? Was he rich? Was he poor? We have no idea. Was he deserving of all this help? We have no idea. Often on a mission trip, I have discovered how you can tell the religious from the ones who share the heart of God. And maybe it's an unfair characterization, but to a degree, I believe it's true. Uh, usually, in, on every trip, there is someone who comes and says, but really... We're doing a lot of work here. Do these people deserve it? I don't think they do. And in saying that, what they're saying is that we have the ability to figure out who deserves and who doesn't. And what we're saying also is that to be helped means that you deserve to be helped. Thank God that's not the way he deals with us. Robert Murray McShane, in a sermon from way back in 1830, preached on the text, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the following is from that sermon. Now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be made branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. We say, well, but my money is mine. It's my own. McShane said the answer. Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. No man forces it from me. Then where would, he have, then where would we have been? We might object, well, the poor are undeserving. McShane says, well, Christ might have said the same thing. They are wicked rebels against my father's law. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels. But no, 
He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection. The poor may abuse it. Answer. Christ might have said the same, yea, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make an excuse for sinning more. And yet he gave his own blood. Oh, dear Christians, McShane said, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless and the undeserving. To reflect our Lord and Savior, we don't judge first whether a person is deserving. We see them through God's eyes as beloved, as valuable. And their value is determined not by their choices alone, but by God's love for them and the love that we therefore are to have for them. So uh, the question I have, wondering, as this man, this teacher of the law, walked away from Jesus, hearing, having heard this story and being made to understand that the neighborly one, the one who was a neighbor, is the one who helped. And when Jesus says, go and do, likewise, uh, he's paralleling the very question that the man first asked up in verse 25, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus at the end says, well, you're right. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, that should be good enough. But what does it mean to love God with all our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength and all of our mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. How do I love myself? Well, I want what's best for me. I want advantages and privileges. I want very few roadblocks, if any, to get in my way of what I want. So if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, how do I do that? Well, I have to want what is best for them. I have to want them to have every advantage and work for them to have every advantage, every privilege, and few, if any, roadblocks in their path. If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to work as hard for them as I do for me. And then, <laughs> with the answer that Jesus gave to this man, it appears that everyone is our neighbor. So I'm going to be giving like this to everyone. And of course, those who most need it are the ones that get the most. How did the man then leave this conversation, I wonder? Was he hopeful, thinking, well, yeah, I think I can do this. I think I can love God with everything I have. And I think, you know, every person I see along the way that is in need, I can meet those needs. I can do everything I can, sacrificing all kinds of things to get them what they need. I can love them as much as I love myself. I can seek to provide for them as much as I seek to provide for myself. Or did he walk away thinking, uh-uh. I can't do that. That's too much. Who could do that? You know, in the beginning, 
It seems like when you're able to summarize all of those laws uh, from the Old Testament, from uh, the Mosaic Code, uh, into just two short commandments, love God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself, it'd be easier to do the two. But maybe he's leaving there thinking, you know, I'll take all those other laws and I'll read them and I'll try to figure out how I can obey them rather than this high cost to me, which is to obey these two. Or maybe, maybe he was smart enough to leave wanting more Maybe he walked away, or maybe he didn't. Maybe he stayed around to ask, isn't there another way? And the wonderful news of the gospel is that, yes, there is another way. And this in no way discounts our responsibility to love God and care for other people. But it's interesting how Jesus describes the man who was in the ditch. He doesn't. He doesn't in any way. He says there was a man. And he was on this path. And he was robbed and beaten. He was a man. And I think the point of that is that that man is me. That man is you. That man who has nothing left, who has nothing to offer, represents you, represents me. You see, Romans 5 says it this way, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave up everything. He gave up his wealth. He gave up his position at the throne of God to become one of us and to give up himself for us. Giving up his life and giving it up in a horrible way on the cross. So... He is your neighbor. He is the neighbor that brings salvation to your soul. And our life of obedience, our life as part of the kingdom of God, as living eternal life, is one lived in recognition of that, in thanks for that, in a heart that is reoriented more and more around the grace of God, around what God has done for us. Not making our salvation about what we do or about intellectual assent to a number of thought patterns, a number of beliefs, but knowing that we have been redeemed through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. And if that is God's heart for me, to give up so much for me, can't it be my heart for others? <laughs>